Hello, and you are listening to the Future of Podcast. I'm Jonathan Narvey. Today's topic is the future of homelessness. I am talking with my good friend, longtime friend, vagabond, and uh, working man around town, Lyle Neff. Lyle Neff, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Lyle Neff. I'm a working man. I uh, clean houses for a living. I have had some experience in the journalistic media world, I guess. Uh, from back in the previous session days, I used to do some columns here and there. Failed poet. Extremely failed. Uh, I no longer do any of that kind of action. Instead, I'm here talking to you for some obscure reason, John. I think because we think we're funny. Or perhaps intelligent. Or something like that. Some, well, someone thinks we're intelligent or funny because they're calling you, or, or what, what uh, was that? That was the timer, John. Oh. Uh, oh. It's a complicated thing, but uh, because I don't have a driver's license, I have to get around on electric scooters, and they are a very fragile sort of mechanism. At the moment, the charger that uh, charges up my little machines is bust. The fan is broken, so I can only charge it up for about half an hour at a time. This is pretty much the way I roll. Haywire, okay. half-ass, you know. Lyle, I'm sorry, that was... The most boring thing I've was heard was possibly already in several tedious. months. <laughs> We're gonna have to up our game, but that's okay. Let's uh, let's let's proceed onward and upward. Um, so this, you know, I'm not even sure where this is gonna fit in the uh, uh, scheduling and segmentation of this show. The future of podcast will be number one, number two, number ten. Um, I guess we'll find out, but um, I dearly hope that uh, we get to do this a great number of times. Now, um, if this is maybe the fifth or sixth or tenth episode in, then people who are listening may know that we're in Toronto. We're not in Toronto. Toronto? Why Toronto? Why, why, why is Toronto on the brain? Because uh, somebody said media, that's why. That's probably it. <laughs> uh, we're in Vancouver, and like Toronto... Vancouver has a problem with affordability and a problem with homelessness. I think Lyle has some interesting ideas to share on why homelessness is a bigger issue here. Why is this happening? How is it even defined? Um, where's, where are we headed with homelessness? And what is to be done? Always the question, right? Well, first off, man, I would think that uh, the first thing you said was uh, affordability, which, you know, to me, you might be getting it by the wrong end of the stick here. If it really is just an economic question, if there's more and more people living on the streets simply because houses are so dang expensive, then why wasn't this uh, a problem in the, uh, in, in the worst years of, like, uh, 2008, 2009? You know, I, I think there's really something else that's going on here that explains this problem. I'm not quite sure what it is. But I think the reasons might be a little deeper, a little more cultural than just uh, straight economic, right? In my view, and to uh, parenthesize, uh, we're all experts in this, John. I live in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood, which is, uh, there's no kind way to put it, is under siege by uh, smelly persons living under blue tarps and whatnot, who have robbed me personally over and over and over again, uh, who walk about barefoot into the local pizza parlors and whatnot, uh, defecating the needles. Uh, we all know what the scene is. And we are uh, more or less expert in it. The problem isn't a lack of compassion for all these uh, whacked out uh, sad souls. I think the basic problem, uh, when you get right down to it, is we close all the big psychiatric hospitals. Uh, in Vancouver, the, uh, the place was called Riverview. It has other names in other places. And the old big institutions were all closed in the 60s and 70s, basically on a wave of uh, patients' rights advocacy. It's all of a piece of the cultural revolutions uh, of the 60s, right? So get, getting into that... For people who may not remember that time, because let's face it, we're not twenty-somethings uh, anymore, and uh, we are aware of certain things that transpired. Um, uh, talking about, you know, going back to "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest," mm -hmm. the, that that film with Jack Nicholson. That goddamn that, movie might actually be literally to blame for all these current problems. It actually might be, but please go on. Actually, I, I was hoping you would share, because you, you've talked about this before. I've done a lot of thinking on it. I really have. Uh, the, this patient's rights stuff uh, is about something very near and dear to me, of course, which is you know the liberty of the, of the individual. But there were a lot of uh, uh, thinkers back then. R.D. Lang is one uh, we might uh, talk about. L-A-I-N-G. You familiar with this cat? No. Well, he was a big one who was, uh, the theory was that mental illness is really undefinable, uh, 
perhaps it's the individual who is who is sane and the society is mad and uh, all this kind of stuff, right? This sort of encounter group uh, thing, uh, this this business of ties to the community and family being far more important than uh, keeping the uh, plainly mad off the streets. Artie Lang uh, and many who followed in his wake would never have any kind of psychiatric institution where anybody could be held against their will, if at all possible. And to be fair, places like Riverview, the big psych uh, hospital out here, could be pretty goddamn awful places. You know, uh, inmates were often abused. Uh, people would get in there who didn't really belong there but couldn't be got out. When you hear people say, like, well, you know, there's so many mentally ill on the streets, and I, I think craziness exacerbated or informed by heavy drug use is really at the, at the core of the problems that we're seeing here, right? It's less about money and it's more about people who are just so goddamn screwed up that uh, they're now inflicting their pathologies and immiserating the rest of us, destroying entire neighborhoods, basically. I, I don't look too kindly on this whole thing. Uh, what All am right. I getting at? I, I want to back up on or on some of that. Um, I, I think there's no question you're correct that there's a mix of mental illness, drug use uh, thrown in there that, that ex- explains to a greater or lesser extent why we have a homelessness issue in our big city. However, um, there are plenty of drug users out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you call them? Uh, uh, social drug users? Recreational drug users? I guess so, man. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look very fun to me. <laughs> see those poor zombies shivering down Hastings Street. It does not look like a blast. Well, it does not look like recreation. No, I'm, I'm you know... Our, our uh, great prime minister has uh, uh, just recently legalized at least one drug on that list. But mm-hmm. you know, we're—I mean, we're, we're generally talking about harder stuff here. But um, drug use does not necessarily lead to not being able to afford a home and/or leaving one's home and and winding up on the street. That's very true. That's very true. You, you hear about, and obviously I don't think there's any data available on this question, but you hear about bankers who use smack at the weekends. Uh, I can speak for a lot of people. Uh, do I use drugs of the harder kind? Who's to say, John? Who is to say? But a lot of people uh, uh, can use uh, uh, drugs that would scare a lot of civilians and use it in a fashion that, although it may impact their lives, it only impacts their lives. The kind of drug use we're talking about with uh, street drugs like, uh, you know what an eight ball is? That's a mix of smack and uh, coke, my friend. There's meth, which can be smoked or injected or sniffed uh, and stuff like that. The fentanyl stuff you've been hearing about. All these hard drugs are out there. They've always been out there. They can't be stamped out, uh, generally speaking. Some people, however, start taking those drugs, and it seems to destroy them. And it seems to destroy them more or less immediately. More to the point, however, it starts when you, when you get to the level of being a homeless uh, street freak. You start immiserating other people. And although, you know, you need a little compassion when you're dealing with this stuff. What I really want to get to grips with when we're talking about the homeless is the, the spread of the pathology, the way we're losing control of the streets, the way that, uh, you know, I don't like to send my kids down to the corner store anymore. Uh, I look out the uh, lane in the uh, hostel where I work uh, right down around uh, Granville and Dunsmuir, and it's like the goddamn third world out there. Shuffling zombies, unbelievable filth, the spread of diseases, you know, I mean, the downtown east side here in Vancouver... Uh, which is the locus of all this, has actually had outbreaks of typhus, uh, outbreaks of tuberculosis, outbreaks... I mean, there's a, there's a public health issue here that is becoming very extreme. We're seeing medieval diseases starting to resurface because of the conditions these people are living under. Is my idea scoop them all up and throw them into a padded room somewhere? More or less, yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. And I think rather than uh, uh, the expensive, weird Cadillac-style uh, solutions people are... Uh, proposing now, which is in essence like give every freak a free home (laughs) that presents a moral hazard problem for starters, because how badly do I have to screw up my life before I get a free house? But also, somebody who is extremely far gone in the depths of uh, schizophrenia related to or caused by uh, heroin addiction, it it doesn't even really matter. You know, this guy's got a complex of problems, dual diagnosis as people in the industry call it. But um, the thing is that their problems sad and dispiriting and, 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 and what's the word I'm looking for? It might make you want to do something about it. But to give that guy a free house is not the right thing to do. And to allow him to really go around wrecking other people's lives by committing constant low-level crimes 
encouraging the spread of disease and filth and disorder is also not the way to go. Unfortunately, there's going to have to be some coercion involved here, not free presence to the screwed up. All right, so I'm, I'm going to... You just un unload quite a, a bit there. I'm an unloader, John. I'm an unloader. And I want to not actually push back on it, but actually give people who are listening maybe some context. Um, because from the kinds of things you're saying... They may get the idea that you are some, uh, you know, neocon, uh, uh, you know, uh, fairly high up member of the conservative or in the U.S. Republican Party, um, you know, p perhaps uh, of in the of the Ayn Rand school, um, you know. There's, I I know that not to be the case, and. Uh, you know, and, and actually our, our thinking aligns a lot on this. I think that um, probably your, your ideas are, are more mainstream than you realize. Mm -hmm. People can't really talk about that because as you um, have mentioned, the it seems like a go-to pol policy plank these days for municipalities and possibly for higher levels of government is give homeless a home what the, the the problem as we see it is people human beings who should be treated with respect and dignity do not have homes well we have plenty of space in canada we can put them inside of buildings mm -hmm. and then they will have a home and then problem solved uh -huh. well uh, what is the problem with this thinking? Well, it's it seems pretty axiomatic, doesn't it? It's very simple. It's very obvious. The guy's got no house. By God, give him a house. Someone else has got to pay for that house. And for the kind of uh, characters we're talking about, who let's keep in mind might only constitute you know four or five thousand people, the the real problems uh, spreading around the city of Vancouver anyway. Free houses for these guys. Well, how's it worked so far? You know, I would say to anyone who says, "Oh, you're a ferocious." right-wing bigot, uh, Ann Rander, or whatever, I'd say, well, how is all your compassion and lavish spending working out so far? The problem keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And the more money you spend on it, and the more social housing that you build, the more the problem seems to grow. Now, why is that? How could that be? You stack people up. Let's take, for example, uh, oh, what's it called? The Marguerite Ford Residences. This is a fairly snazzy little uh, six-story, I believe, uh, apartment building with small but uh, clean and functional units, uh, possibly nicer than my apartment. Uh, it's right on the edge of uh, Olympic just, Village. Just a second there, uh, Mr. Neff. I believe the uh, local Air Force is trying to interrupt our podcast. Well, the government is not like this. It's, it may be, the pilot may have been hired by uh, <coughs> Facebook or one of those uh, Silicon Valley socialists to <laughs> shut us down. To shut us down. Before like we even get any momentum. Uh, okay, they seem to have been gone now. We'll, we'll carry this on as long as we can. Uh, there may be a sniper on the roof over there. I'm, I'm not quite sure. can't quite make it out, but. All right, I'll say it, I'll say yeah. it loudly then. Yeah. Marguerite J. Ford Cadillac residences for the terminally screwed up are a terrible, disastrous, expensive idea. That exacerbates a terrible problem instead of solving it. What are these Margaret Ford residences? Well, as I said, uh, it's uh, what they call social housing. It's right on the corner of Olympic Village, so it's on a very valuable uh, part of land, uh, piece of land. I believe it houses about 200 of the, uh, the hard to house. Okay, so just for people who don't live in Vancouver or aren't even in Canada, just so you know, the Olympic Village is not just prime real estate for Vancouver. It's prime real estate... Pretty much for planet Earth. Oh, yeah. It's primo down there, man. It's a very nice part of town. This is waterfront property in, uh, as you could probably figure out by the name, um, the, the Olympic Village. This was used to house the Olympic athletes when the Olympics were in Vancouver, um, right when uh, the city was on the cusp of becoming, or already had become, um, a, a spot on the map um, comparable to say Seattle or even uh, LA New York in in that category um, and here we have in that uh, elite enclave this this Olympic village this this place where it's 
simply beautiful and, and it's uh, close to all kinds of amenities that you would want to live in, uh, live nearby as a resident, as a parent, as a, as a person who is upwardly mobile, who, who has all the opportunity in the world. This is the kind of real estate, the kind of home you would want to live in. Amazing views, closeness to uh, um, businesses and, and um, restaurants, pubs, the, the, the kinds of places where you want to eat, drink, see, and be seen. All right, Narvi, you're dribbling on, my friend. Dribbling I, well, on. I'm, it I'm is just, posh. Just, just wanted to, to sort of give people the, the context. This is the area that, uh, if it was New York, it would it would be, you know, sort of the uh, um, probably Upper West Side upper, or something. The Upper West it's Side. Pretty posh. There were million dollar condos, you know, okay. urban fair. Okay, so and and we're putting in social housing in this area. It's already been done. The Marguerite Ford uh, uh, building uh, went up in the early stages of the uh, so called crisis. As I say, I believe it houses about 200 people. I became intimately acquainted with this thing, which is plopped right in the lap of all these yuppies in, in, in the Olympic Village there, uh, when my very expensive uh, electric scooter, for which I slaved and which is absolutely necessary for me to uh, get to work with, was uh, stolen. The first of three scooters that have been stolen by uh, possibly unhoused uh, uh, criminals. Anyway, the first scooter, I found it uh, the next day outside the Marguerite Ford Center. And I managed, after some to and froing uh, uh, with a very unhelpful VPD, to take my property back on my own. I had to. The police were of no help in this matter. But of course, I became interested in this place where the owners wouldn't let me in to discuss this, this Sorry, theft. Sorry, before we get on to the next little bit, um, are you sure you didn't just leave it there? Were you drunk? <laughs> it's pretty close to the Ivanhoe Pub, as a matter of fact. The Ivanhoe <laughs> Pub, for a little more context, is another uh, arguable eyesore that's kind of on the corner of Olympic Village, but it's a lot more fun. Anyway, the Marguerite Ford residence, I started looking into it uh, because uh, clearly a resident there uh, uh, had you know, traversed the uh, 12 or 16 blocks, come up to my place, steal my uh, property. Not just once, but I would suspect very likely the same people were involved with the later thefts. Anyways, I started looking into it. Marguerite Ford went up in about 2005. People were slapped in there. Uh, it's possible they pay some form of rent, but they're all on welfare, so the entire thing is basically a free house, right? And... The Marguerite Ford, I'm not sure what sort of treatments they have available, but uh, they booked 1,600 police calls to the building itself within the space of one year. Now, those are just calls to the building. The, the denizens of that building, those poor disadvantaged homeless, uh, are clearly fanning out and uh, uh, considering committing much more crime in the village and in Mount Pleasant neighborhood here around. And I couldn't find any statistics or any numbers about that. In fact... I found this one stat about 1,600 calls being logged at the Marguerite Ford residence. 1,600. Think of that, John. For 200 people. And that's cops coming to the building. It has nothing to do with what crimes and activities the denizens in that building might be doing in the surrounding neighborhoods. You can bet it's a goddamn lot. So whatever they're doing down the Marguerite Ford residence is, this is a word I like to use a lot, immiserating the people around it. To me, having my, uh, my vital work vehicle stolen was just the beginning. I've been constantly under siege. Aside from the Marguerite Ford, the old Biltmore Hotel up on Kingsway, which is also uh, part of the uh, Mount Pleasant neighborhood, not too far from the original Marguerite Ford, has now got, uh, and again, there's various kinds of social housing, and I'm not too clear on the distinctions. All I know is that if you're severely drug addicted, completely addled in the head, uh, a little wacky in the thinker, you can get a free house at one of these places. This is the, the policy we're talking about. Oh, the guy's got no house? Give him a house. That'll solve the problem. In this case, the Marguerite Ford... Uh, uh, I don't know what it might have done for the people who were living in it, but it sure made life hella shitty for everybody else around it. So again, this comes back to like, well, what are we doing wrong? All this compassion, building houses for the homeless, huge amounts of money. I can't imagine what that building must have cost. Uh, and obviously the dentists aren't actually paying for it. And what's it actually accomplished? So just to uh, go over some of the, the things you've mentioned here, just to clarify one bit, you talked about immiserating uh, the, the activity associated crime, drug use, associated with, with homelessness that is immiserating neighboring areas. Um, I mean, that's there we're talking about the, the symptoms and, and effects of homelessness. 
um, we're not talking about the cause. We're, we're, we, you've separated that out. Um, there's, you know, we're, we're not suggesting that, you know, by merely living near a homeless person, you are, are thereby more likely to become homeless. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're you may a, not be uh, suggesting that, John, but I'm stating it as an obvious and undeniable fact. I, no, I, 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 no, I, I, I think that what you're, you're getting at is that the larger policy that we're enacting to solve the problem is, in fact, just making it worse. It has completely failed. I mean, it has uh, solved uh, some portion of the homelessness crisis. <coughs> Pardon me. In that 200 or so people who previously uh, were homeless now we, have homes. We, we, so we might need to just take a brief break to um, uh, mop up that. Uh, <coughs> yeah, yeah uh, pardon me. Oy. Mr. Neff, your lung is uh, still on the floor. Okay. A little I bit of lung we'll, butter for you, buddy. We'll lung carry butter. on. We'll carry on. <laughs> okay, so that portion of the homelessness crisis has been uh, resolved to the no doubt satisfaction of the uh, inhabitants of the Marguerite Ford Center. But what larger social problem has it solved? These people are still on drugs. These people are still, eh, I believe the clinical term is perhaps batshit crazy, you know, for whatever reason. And obviously this is a locus of, of, of crime and disorder and chaos and everything that we've just been talking about. So it seems to me fairly axiomatic and fairly clear that just building houses for the homeless doesn't solve the problem. It gives them houses, but that lack of a house was clearly not their problem. You know, their, their problem is something else. They still have to raise money for drugs or they still think that the demons are chasing them or this or that. So just put, houses for the homeless doesn't really solve the problem. The problem here isn't that some people are too poor, too crazy or too drug addicted to, uh, to pay rent and uh, maintain a household. It's not necessarily an economic question. Uh, there's something else going on here, I think, and I'm interested in trying to identify what it is. And also in having people recognize, especially the hundreds, even thousands of Vancouverites employed in attempting to address these problems, all the housing societies, the, uh, the government-sponsored charities and whatnot. There's a lot of people really uh, spending a lot of money on this. They've obviously failed to solve the problem. Can you get them to admit that they have failed to solve the problem with the compassionate, expensive, build-them-a-house approach? I don't think you can get anybody to admit that. The city of Vancouver stopped releasing statistics on the Marguerite Ford residents and the crime rate uh, surrounding. There's just no numbers to be had. You can't find it. That suggests to me that the failure is so total and so complete that only a leftist could love it. You know, what so, they did didn't work, so something else has to be tried. So we've been talking about this issue of the, the future of homelessness in a local context. Of course, this is a problem that affects cities around the world. It's a problem that probably affects you wherever you're listening from, um, you know, in, in, a, in a neighborhood near you or possibly in your neighborhood. And again, you know, we're, we're not saying, uh, we're, we're not trying to make a judgment um, as to, um, you know, the, say the, the moral upstandingness of uh, homeless people. That, that's a whole other conversation if one wanted to have it. But, <laughs> uh, I, I, but I, it relates to something that we've been dancing around a little bit. Because we've talked about the the symptoms of homelessness, we've talked about the um, you know what's causing it, and uh, as you mentioned close to the beginning of this conversation, you know you don't have to be an expert observer with a PhD in homelessness studies well, to see what's happening. So, for the average citizen who sees that this. Um, hey, put homeless people in a home and it's going to solve the problem. We've been trying this for a number of years. It's obviously not working. And yet it seems to me that the motivation behind it to keep doing what we're doing is twofold. Number one, nobody has a better idea. I have a better idea. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get to this in a second. Uh, maybe it's threefold. So I, I'm going to amend my earlier point. Uh, uh, number one, nobody is brave enough to put forward another idea. Uh, number two, I think people actually have an idea that dignity, as I mentioned before, you know, putting people in homes 
gives people dignity, everyone's entitled to respect. That's it's almost a you know, give them a home if whatever kind of horrid uh uh just just whatever kind of activities go on behind closed doors, well it's none of our business. We are um we are private citizens, so whatever happens there, it's out of sight, out of mind. The problem has disappeared. <laughs> Except oh. for all the, 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 the police calls. Yes, and the tuberculosis, and the theft, and yes. the public defecation, yes. and the fighting, and the prostitution, and so on, and so on, and so on. Right, That which sort of hits on my third point, which I think you articulated it right there. So mm-hmm. let's just... Um, yeah, I, I think people are not brave enough to say what the solution, frankly an obvious solution, would be. Uh, and and so I come back to you, Lyle. Okay, well, I want to expand on this a little bit, but first off, it's basically a, a two-part thing. Number one, enforce the vagrancy laws. You no more have a right to camp on a public sidewalk than I have a right to walk into your house and use your toilet. You simply cannot do that. You simply cannot allow that. And yet, if you look at Oppenheimer Park, also in the downtown side, again, the locus of, uh, of this problem, Oppenheimer Park is entirely given over to blue tarps. Oppenheimer Park is not a place that you would take your kid anymore. Oppenheimer Park, what used to be a fairly pleasant stretch of greenery in a fairly blighted neighborhood, is now the knee plus ultra of blighted neighborhoods. It is a vast, vast tent city, which I believe receives uh, some government services like it was just another neighborhood. (laughs) It's covered with the blue tarps that are possibly one of the defining symbols of our times. And it is, of course, uh, a nightmare of chaos, overdoses, uh, violence, uh, misery, and horror show. Now, am I saying send in a bunch of like old school uh, uh, cops with billy clubs saying, Get out of here, boy. Oh, move on, move on. I, I think that's a good point. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you, you talk about an, an old-school solution. Well, this, enforcing this laws is, is old-school, right? Well, it, what, what I'm saying is tent cities, maybe, you know, I, I remember uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it being a time of, you know, c- certainly there, you know, there, there were still uh, uh, poor people, uh, at that time, and, and I grew up in a, in a uh, squarely middle class existence in a suburb. So, and and you know, I probably wasn't reading newspapers when I was twelve and thirteen. So, uh, I may not have been aware, but it seems to me tent cities were sort of a thing. We're talking about sort of depression era hobo uh, jungles, as uh, these hobo, be called. Yeah. E- exactly. And and until I came to Vancouver in the. Uh, very late 90s, uh, early 2000s, um, I, I had never seen, I, I don't think I'd ever seen a tent mm-hmm. city up close and personal that, uh, like I, I'd seen homeless people, obviously, they're, yeah. they're in every city, uh, and always have been. There, there's, there's always been people who, who have not, just have not fit in. The poor will always be with you, John. But tent cities are, are a different kind of phenomenon because it requires not just homeless people, it requires a certain acquiescence of the society in which they are planting their flag. It requires uh, authorities uh, uh, looking the other way for a behavior that uh, is clearly illegal and illegal for very sound uh, public order and public health reasons. You know, somebody said once that the law in its majesty forbids the rich and the poor alike to sleep under bridges. And that was a very typical sort of cosmopolitan leftist view you know like you can't criminalize somebody just for being poor you can't criminalize them for, you know i'm not criminalizing you for being poor i'm not criminalizing you for being mentally ill i'm saying stop shitting on my boots stealing my stuff terrifying my kids and stabbing that woman you know what i mean it really is the behavior for me the question of whether the the, the homeless and this is a new term that's something else i wanted to get into are morally uh praiseworthy victims of of, of a brutal capitalist society or if they're a bunch of shiftless shitheads who, who really should just get a job and get it together. None of that really matters. I, I'm not really interested in blaming or uh, praising uh, people who are homeless. I'm interested in actually solving the problem. A lot of people, especially the activist core that uh, is, is active in homelessness issues, as they say, issues around, as they always like to say, uh, these people have got the uh, completely wrong end of the stick. They Sorry. feel that they're protecting the poor. To just... Uh touch on something you, you said a, a second ago activists uh have, ah, have, yes. the, have this attitude and yet 
Um, if if we look in a, a broader context, uh, I think it's San Francisco. Is it San Francisco that that is the sort of homeless mecca now of of California? Absolutely, so absolutely. close to the richest places on earth, or at least the you know very close to the neighborhoods of you know the Silicon Valley titans and mm-hmm. and the tens of thousands of um, employees at Google, Facebook, and countless startups who are making amazing gobs of money and the the politicians down there the most progressive part of the united states who um clearly are uh, wanting to be on the side of angels and and are allowing this Mm -hmm. kind of thing to happen in some of the uh greatest cities on, on on the west coast uh close to the the most you, you, you would expect a place that's raking in millions or hundreds of millions in taxes from the Silicon Valley companies could afford to deal with the homelessness problem in a in an effective way. And if yet, money were what it takes, if money were what it takes, all of us should have been able to do this. Mm-hmm. It's estimated that spending on uh, uh, the downtown east side, that would be the SROs, the single room occupancy uh, uh, hotels for, for old timers and whatnot, Plus the various drug clinics, plus the Aboriginal drug clinics, plus the uh, other housing societies for schizophrenics and this and stuff. They figure it might be upwards of $2 billion a year being spent in the downtown east side. Have you been to the downtown east side lately? It does not look like $2 billion has been spent. Where is this money going? Frankly, it is feeding a lot of people like, oh, Jenny Kwan is a local politician who uh, has made this one of her uh, signature issues. Boy, does she ever live well off of it. There really is a, a class now that has arisen that has an interest in perpetuating the problem under the guise of compassion and nice fat salaries for themselves. Wasn't the Marshall Plan to build all, rebuild all of Western Europe after the Second World War amounting to several billion dollars? I, yeah. I feel like, you know, it's not like we've got Paris in the downtown east side. Or, or you know... Precisely. Clear, go, go ahead. So I was just gonna, and, and, and all of this spending is for naught. It has not solved any problems. The problem is worse and worse every year, and it's because we're locked into this, I think, this narrative about compassion and the poor helpless and the disadvantage and the rapacious cruelty of capitalism and so forth, when the problem is a little bit simpler. We're either going to have peace, order, and good government in the streets, or we are not. And the city gave over Oppenheimer Park and essentially turned this festering jungle of madness, this hobo jungle, uh, into uh, basically another city institution. I think they even have garbage pickup down there now. Like they have volunteers handing out little pamphlets about where you can get your mental illness fixed and whatnot. They've turned a, a, a lawless hobo jungle into basically another institution of city government, and it doesn't work. The Marshall Plan worked, of course, because those people were, you could say, economically homeless. Uh, I'm economically homeless because a bomb destroyed my house. However, I'm not mad in the head. I don't need to steal things to uh, supply my drug habit and so forth. I just want to move into that house. That's a homeless person whose life is going to be improved by giving them a house. Mm. The class of people we're talking about, and again, it's not really huge numbers, but there are huge amounts of money being spent on this tiny, tiny portion of the population that is living outside, that is uh, screwed up one way or the other, is wildly out of proportion. It hasn't worked. And so to return to my, my basic, like, what is to be done thing, number one, enforce the vagrancy laws. Anyone sleeping on the sidewalk has got to be gotten up and moved on. And if he says, I don't have anywhere else to go, well, why do you have to sit on Robson Street? Why do you have to be in a neighborhood full of kids and dogs? Why, if you really have to sleep rough because of economic things and cruel, cruel capitalism, must you be in the, right in the downtown east side, right in the Olympic village, again, where there are kids, there are dogs, there's families, there's normal life, there's peace, there's order, and there's good government. Anyway, enforce the vagrancy laws. And number two, to go back to Artie Lang, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and all that sort of action. Again, anyone with common sense can see that the emptying out of these big hospitals was the root of the problem. And again, I think I might kind of blame that goddamn movie a little bit. Which is not to say that places like Riverview Hospital and the other giant psychiatric institutions, every American state had one. They, they had them in Britain. Uh, we definitely had them here. And these were quite horrifying places uh, to a certain point. There's no denying. Uh, patients were abused, especially indigent patients. Uh, people would just be kind of locked in a room and forgotten about. And that's not what I want for the new giant centralized psychiatric hospitals that we need to build and staff right now. Uh, I want those to be better and more humane places, but I want to take people who are on the streets causing problems and not give them a free house as a reward for their behavior, but to put them in a place where A, they can't harm other people. They can't immiserate other people anymore. 
even if it's in a minor way. Spare changing is not in and of itself a crime, but when you combine that with just breaking into dumpsters, uh, stealing cars, just uh, all the madness that you see. I mean, we could enumerate. Maybe we should if we're going to make this a recurring thing. Let's just start enumerating. Like, what's the craziest homeless thing that you've seen the past week? I already got a half dozen for you, man. Nutty stuff. We can put them into better institutions. Those institutions, for economic reasons, cruel, cruel capitalism, have to be centralized. You need one big hospital like we used to have. Okay, so that's your... you shouldn't be able to leave that hospital until you're actually a normal person again. So that's your proposal for getting us out of this situation with... We've got this situation of exacerbated, exacerbated homelessness. We just need to put them into those puzzle factories and, and um, let society breathe again. Uh, but is that is that the future of hom- homelessness, do you think? Is that what you think is going to happen? Or what do you think is, is going to happen? Are you, are you optimistic that... <coughs> could be the path forward i don't believe so but then again there's there's things about this that even just through common sense like uh evaluation and just looking at it through the lens of lived experience and not having a phd in sociology on it or whatnot i'm still not sure why this is happening specifically why now and specifically why here if my theory about the closing of the psychiatric hospitals uh based on sort of like left-wing agitation about uh, uh, mental health patients rights and so forth is the root cause of the problem, then we really should have been seeing what's going on now. We should have seen it in the 70s or 80s when all those hospitals were closed. Well, that's, I'm not sure why there's been such a lag. Yeah, well, that's the difference. I think I come at it from a different perspective where I see a few more variables. One being, and, you know, I, I, I think you should be sympathetic to this because you're, you're from the north. I am. I'm from Winnipeg. You are. There were like maybe a dozen homeless people in downtown Winnipeg. Do you know why? In all of downtown Winnipeg? Because it's fucking cold. Yes, indeed, John. Oh, and I'll tell you something else about those uh, those few homeless people that you saw around uh, Winnipeg in the 70s or maybe even the 80s. You didn't call them homeless, did you? Homeless is not a word that existed before the 80s and the 90s. I think that really, maybe what we're looking at here is there's been an institutional failure. At some point... Perhaps it was the generation of the 60s that closed the hospitals in the first place. Uh, madness as a social construct, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. Perhaps those people didn't really come to positions of power in the uh, uh, mental health and uh, city government and uh, uh, charitable uh, fields until the 80s or 90s. The problem as it stands now, I think, is a fairly recent problem. There have always been the poor, of course. Uh, then we started calling them the homeless. And just to call them the homeless as opposed to hobos, vagrants, and uh, uh, other possibly nasty uh, uh, terms, bums, drunks, vinyls, whatever you want to call them. When you started calling them the homeless, it reframed the whole thing in a very George Orwell sort of, sort of newspeak way. These guys were no longer annoyances to have like a big Irish cop come along with a nightstick and you know, chase them out of downtown because he's scaring the old ladies. Then they became the homeless, and there's like an aura about the homeless that attracted eh, probably more or less idealistic young people of the 60s generation were then coming into uh, power, voting NDP, uh, you know, blaming, blaming others for uh, uh, their cruelty to the homeless and like they have the compassion for the homeless and I'm the cruel guy, right? <laughs> yeah. We see where that compassion has led. You know, that might kind of be the source. Yeah, that, that, that's part of it. There's a cultural problem here, not just an economic I, there, There's another factor that I hadn't mentioned that you see a lot here in Vancouver, and I've seen somewhat in the States when I've traveled there on the West Coast or just in, in warmer climates, which is people who are on the streets begging for money who clearly don't look mm-hmm. like they need to be begging for money. Right. I get the impression that not all the people who are on the street, maybe it's not all the people who are living on the street. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe the, these people I'm referring to are the people who, um, I don't know, maybe they do have homes to go to and they just sort of, they, they beg they for change on the street. And But uh, the, the kind of people I'm, I'm talking about, they're actually, you know, they're, they're relatively clean, uh, clean shaven. They washed one, uh, you know, usually men, but, uh, I, I, I was once asked for change by a lady who 
I, I am not exaggerating to say I thought she was a supermodel. I, I could not understand what was happening. I thought I was being punked. I thought I was on camera. <laughs> and she's asking for change. And I'm thinking, you... You can respond to you queries. You can get anything in the world. <laughs> the, the world is your oyster, lady. Um, and, I, and, you know, like I, I'm not talking about sex work. I'm talking about she could walk into any agency in the city and get a PR job in about five seconds. Yeah. Um, uh, and she was clean. She, she, she could respond to queries. She, she clearly didn't think the devil she, was talking to her. It, it was it was a bizarre. I, I I still remember this, even though this happened seven or eight years ago, and my, the whole interaction was maybe ten seconds. Mm-hmm. But it was it was so vivid because it was so bizarre. It unlikely, right? Well, let me tell you a little something about that, John. Uh, there's a certain uh, romance for a certain kind of kid. There's a certain romance to like wild, lawless life on the street, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of French poets very sadly uh, encourage this sort of thing. But uh, here's the point in the show where, although I really hate the speaking as trope, let me point out that I've been homeless a couple of times. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I was one of the people that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I ran away from my home in a tiny town up north because I was a punk rocker. I was lawless and wild and free. And I was just going to live my life however I wanted to. And it did include spare changing. It included sleeping on the streets. Or scrambling together to get whatever kind of bed that I could. Did I have a choice? I really did. And in the end, I made that choice. After about a year of scrounging around and uh, being this crazy street pirate and so forth, I packed it up. I went back home. I moved back in. I said, sorry, Dad. (laughs) I graduated from high school, went to university, and became the fabulously law-abiding citizen that you see before you now. I, I, I feel like this is a whole category of homelessness. I'm not saying it's it's the majority or even close to a a large minority, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a, there's a certain segment that simply wouldn't have existed if you maybe I, I don't know say 1920s 1930s. No, no one ever thought it was romantic to go out on the road. Sure, and certainly in in most of the world. You know, like if if you were, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure in the whole subcontinent of, of India, there are zero homeless dudes who are legitimately, uh, or who who don't have to be homeless. Right, uh, right. Um, so we're we're in a, you know, at, at some point in our our historical development as a civilization, mm-hmm. we reached a stage where, um. You know, as a young person, as a you know, as a rebel, you know that's that's sort of a viable thing to do for a time to sort of I don't know in, enjoy some some street culture and and just sort of you know I can't say I didn't have fun. It was also terrifying, you know. Mm. But the mm. thing is, John, that, that that a lot of those uh, fairly healthy uh, young people, Quebecois fruit pickers, shall we say, mm. and uh, uh, a certain percentage of those people are going to kind of turn it around, like I did. And I'm not saying, oh, look at me, I pulled myself up by bootstraps, everybody can do it. Hey, no. Mm. Everyone on the streets has got a sad, sad story. Mm. Well, I didn't really, but... <laughs> My story was more about self-aggrandizement and uh, youthful idiocy, but but I did, uh, as I say, more or less uh, turn it around. However, some of those kids with the sad stories, abused children, runaways, and whatnot, believe me, many tears will be jerked if you talk to anybody who's on the street. But that's not the basis for a sound policy. Some of those people who are spirit-changing now, even though they could kind of pull it together... Get a job, get a place, get relationships, have a shower every once in a while, have hot meals and whatnot. Some of those people are going to fall further. And five years from now, your beautiful supermodel girl might not look so beautiful anymore. You might see her tottering down Hastings Street, uh, heading down to the, uh, the needle exchange, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas some of them won't. And, and again, this comes down to the morality of it. And I, I don't give a damn about the morality of it, whether they're good people or bad people blameworthy or, or praiseworthy, whether they need a pat on the back and a hot meal or a kick in the ass and, and, and a hard job. None of that really matters. What really matters is how does their behavior affect the wider society? And it's dragging us down, man. Just here in Vancouver, after the repeated thefts of my belongings from my moderately safe neighborhood in uh, uh, Mount Pleasant has made me itchy, paranoid, and I'll admit it, desirous of revenge. Desirous of revenge. When you go out there in your $3,000 motorcycle that you depend on to get to work, it's just gone. 
you do the strangle hands. You, know, you want to find somebody, you want to punish, and you want to blame them. Mount Pleasant is an utterly ironic name for a neighborhood now <laughs> that that I lived in as well, like I, un, until fairly recently. And actually, in in many regards, it's still a lovely neighborhood. But yeah, there there are these corrupting. Uh, influences on on yeah. the edges. There. In my lovely little neighborhood. I have a, a, mo- yeah. a moderately nice apartment here. But as I say, uh, the the Biltmore uh, uh, Puzzle Factory, the Margaret Ford residence down there, uh, a couple more uh, down towards Commercial Drive. I'm basically in the triangle of a large uh, nexus uh, of of the housed homeless, of people who have been given the free houses and who nonetheless go on wreaking havoc on uh, every other part of society because hey. Now they don't have to worry about paying the rent. I mean, they obviously didn't before when they were on the streets. But providing uh, a house to a guy who's so demented on heroin or who thinks that the devil is talking to him or that Cesis has implanted uh, bugs in his body, giving that guy a free house, do you think it's going to help him? It's not going to help him. It's going to make everybody else more miserable. How badly do I have to fuck up my life before I get a free house? Mm. You know, Moral Hazard says that if you reward bad behavior, and again, maybe it's their fault, they've got a sad story, they're crazy, they're drug addicted, blah, blah, blah. But if you reward this, you're going to get more of it. And that might kind of go to why, like, uh, uh, cities with the most progressive governments, like Vancouver, the greenest city in the world, San Fran, the legendary home of American socialism, and so forth, these are the cities that are getting hit hardest by by the present chaos, by the spread of the blue tarps, uh, if you will. And I think it might actually... I don't want to lay the entire thing at the feet of uh, progressive governance, but too much compassion for a certain sort of person is the absolute worst thing that you can give them. Mm. And I don't necessarily recommend a tough love thing on the other side, except that I kind of do, because this can't be allowed to go on. You know, you're wrecking your environment. You are destroying our city, and I'm sorry that you had a sad life. Your father abused you. You're addicted to smack. You think the devil is talking to you. I'm sorry about all that, but you can't be allowed to terrorize my children. Mm. Shit on the streets spread tuberculosis you you simply cannot be permitted and that's why some element of coercion in my ideal new super psychiatric hospitals is absolutely necessary some of these people have to be scooped off the streets by force if necessary and put into a place where maybe they can get help so not just a free house and that place yeah most of the time not able to leave it yeah getting that help is that that's where a bit of the trickiness sets in because you know naturally in a uh, conversation about homelessness and the future of homelessness you want to talk about the homeless but uh, we can also talk about those who um, I, I, I suppose in, in a relationship you'd call them uh, you know the sort of codependency or, or enablers uh-huh. and I'm talking about the industry of, of um, social workers mm-hmm. and the people who run the uh, uh, you know the the, the various housing societies, yes. deeply corrupt housing societies, by the way. Yes, formerly charities that are now government operations. Where the incentives are totally the wrong way. If we wanted to solve homelessness, um, and it, all, all we're doing is sort of, you know, we're perpetuating and and, and incentivizing this kind of phenomenon to occur. Um, Maybe you could you could sort of well it's a fa- it's a fairly left wing deal I mean uh, I'm a regular working person and I want this problem solved uh, if I was a more compassionate person who spent my time like you, you see those middle class ladies crouching down by, by panhandlers mm-hmm. and the panhandler sitting there drooling into his beard and she's sitting there earnestly going well what is it that you need you know tell me your sad story she's crouching there in her high heels you see this a lot it always kind of makes me laugh because what is she gonna do for that guy that guy just shit his pants lady. You know, that guy really thinks that CSIS has implanted a bug in his brain. You know, you can sit there and you can, you can hold his hand and pat his hand. And it's all very nice and it's all very Christian, but it doesn't solve his problems. Mm-hmm. Giving him $500 is not going to solve his problems. Giving him a free house is not going to solve his problems. You know, what's going to solve his problems? I don't know. Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. Some element of the population that we're talking about here is uh, also essentially incurable. These guys are never coming back. And what do you do with a person like that? Well... My belief in the essential dignity and, and worth of every individual says, take that guy and put him someplace where he can't keep harming other people. Mm. Even if he's not specifically harming other individuals, the, the, the guy who's sitting on the sidewalk, jumping with fleas, uh, covered with a blue tarp, uh, uh, and, and destroying your garbage and stealing your stuff, that guy is, again, immiserating other people. The left-wing approach to a lot of social problems is to kind of manage it and contain it and just kind of go on with it. And many people on the left wing, such as the professors and social workers you mentioned, really do, even if they won't admit it, have a vested interest in there being more people for them to pour their compassion onto. Mm. 
Compassion hasn't worked. Spending huge sums of money hasn't worked. So-called experts will not admit this. We can all see it as plain as the evidence of your eyes. So what do you do? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I'm pretty sure that centralized uh, uh, prison-like psychiatric hospitals for the absolutely incurable, put that guy in a nice little room, make sure he's not abused, give him three squares, give him access to a, a doctor, although, as I say, I mean, some of these guys, no matter what kind of therapy you try on them, what kind of meds you give them, they're just not coming back. So what do you do? House him. Give him a little dignity and so forth. What he can't have is his freedom because he uses his freedom to demolish everybody else's. You know? Well, on that counterintuitive note... Tough love. For... <laughs> that I, I feel like a... Uh, you know, as a staunch working-class conservative to end on a note of... Uh, yeah, take away this guy's freedom. That's the solution. <laughs> I don't like it's, it either. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a dark road. Uh, uh, but, you know, well, it, it, again, we're not talking about all homeless. We're, we're talking about that, that segment that is uh, effectively incurable when we're talking about mental illness. and mm-hmm. um, Or drug addiction, and case I, may be. I, I think I, we, we probably should have addressed this, this at the beginning or earlier in the conversation, but... Um, I just wanted to say, with the kinds of things we're talking about, you know, there will be those who say, hey, why are you picking on the homeless? Why are you (laughs) hating on the homeless? Uh, and, and that, that was not the objective here. What, what we're trying to do is talk about an actual problem that, um, is frankly quite visible. Uh, in our um, little outpost of, of Western civilization out here, and um, you know, sort of suggest solutions. Uh, I, I at the very least identify what the problem is and where uh, our politics has gone wrong, where our solutions seem kind of uh, going down the wrong path, and hopefully uh, suggest one path that the issue of homelessness might be resolved into the future. This, you know, it. I, I find it a weird thing where people identify homelessness almost as an ethnic group. Um, you know, sort of, you know, why are you hating on the homeless? Like, you know, why are you picking on the Jews? Why are you picking on the black guys? Like, what's, you know, it's, it's, it, this isn't an immutable characteristic. Nobody, it is not. It is you not. know, you know, someone who is homeless now, unless they are incurably insane. Um, you know, doesn't necessarily have to remain homeless. There are, you know, lots of stories of, of people who, it, you know, get off the streets and, and good for them and good for the, the society around them. If we return to this subject uh, in a future episode, I will tell you a very instructive story about the second time I became homeless mm-hmm. and how I encountered uh, the very good intentions of, uh, of left-wingers, uh, city council and so forth that actually made all my problems much, 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 much worse. But uh, we're going to leave that for another day, yeah? I think that's a good idea. So it's been a pleasure. Lyle Neff, um, if there was a way that uh, someone might reach out to you, I I think you're fairly uh, uh, anonymous now on on social media. It's because I find social media kind of vulgar, no? All right, well. Kind of vulgar. Well, normal, Twittering and blogging, good heavens. All right. Well, normally I, w- I would give a plug out, but uh, uh, we're, we're, we're going to let you uh, sort of live off the grid. Continue, uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy our next conversation um, about this or, or other topics. So thanks very much, Lot. All right, colleague. Goodbye, podcastees or whatever the hell you're called. See ya.